As our ushers pass out uh, the offertory plates, I want to highlight one thing that I believe is special this morning. On the fifth Sunday of each month, when we have the opportunity to celebrate that, we enjoy family worship together. Um, Not only does this give our uh, children's workers an opportunity to be able to be in the service, um, but it's important for you to understand that children and students are an absolutely vital aspect of the life and ministry of Copperfield Church. Uh, They are not something that we just want to entertain while all the big people get to go to big church. Remember that growing up? Big church. Um, Jesus had a very uh, soft spot in his heart for children. Uh, Scripture constantly talks about the rearing of children and the importance of children in God's eyes. Uh, If you were a parent here today, maybe you're a guest and you were thinking, oh, they were going to have child care and now they're not and it would be embarrassing to leave. Do you know how bad my kids are? I, I just need you to hear right now, nobody here that's embracing the heart of the mission of Copperfield Church is worried about any sounds, noise, or movements that your kids make in this service, okay? Uh, Those of you from Copperfield that would like to affirm that, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. We love the sounds of your kids. We don't mind if they are rooting around. We don't care if they spill your drink. We're not worried about any of that at all. The only person that's worried about it is you. The people around you are not worried about it. And I want to encourage you not to be worried about it. If a preacher can't preach over the sound of a child, that preacher is not worth anything, okay? (laughs) I'm just telling you. And I got five kids. I can preach over your children. (laughs) So just relax, be comfortable. We want you to know that this is a church that wants to see families grow in the hope of the gospel. And how are we going to do that if we can't be together? So you are welcome here, and we are so glad uh, that you are here. Not only is today Halloween, but it is also uh, the 504th uh, anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther uh, took 95 theses and he nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg asking for an opportunity to debate, specifically as it related to the sale of indulgences. Luther had a problem with this, and I understand why he did, because essentially the practice of medieval indulgence allowed a person that was living to pay or grant relief for the release of someone who was suffering in purgatory. In fact, those that were selling these indulgences actually wrote a little jingle to go along with it. Those of you that are fluent German speakers will have to forgive me. Those of you that do not know German, I will translate it here in a second. But it actually kind of got a little bit of a ring to it. They would go around and they would sing, So bald der Finning in constant Kling, De Seles aus dem Figfur spring, which in English translated, as soon as the coin and the coffer rings, the soul out of purgatory springs. And Luther says, I can't find this in my Bible. And he goes, I think that these people don't know what's being taught, so let's have a debate. And so in 1517, on October 31st, he nailed 95 disputes to the church in Wittenberg. And Everything changed from then forth. But what was it that compelled this Augustinian monk to challenge the established church of his day? What was it that emboldened him to call for a debate with the church authorities? Part of what emboldened him was the message that we find in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me there 
and stand with me. If you do not, it's okay. You can look along the screen with me. Kids, if you have the handout for um, children, you can write down that this is the verse that we're talking about. If you're looking for the section that says, who is the preacher? Uh, That's me, Casey. If you're looking for the passage, it's Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. This is what radically shook this Augustine monk Martin Luther as he was reading as he recognized that to be right with God was not a matter of what we do, but a matter of what God has done. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes saying this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Maybe seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon our time this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for our kids that are able to be in here today. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to hear with the hearing that you give and see with the eyes that you must give and that we all, Lord, would be stirred, Lord, to deeper faith and commitment to the gospel because of what we have seen. The gospel is the hope of the world as the church of Jesus Christ declares it. Let us be faithful to declare it, to point people to the goodness of the good work that you have done on our behalf. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Got a few points here for us this morning. The first is this, is that as we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, one of the things that we find is that the gospel is not a message to be ashamed of in our world. The gospel is not a message to be ashamed of in our world. You kind of have to ask, why would Paul have to say what he says in verse 16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Kids, what do you think about that? Have you ever been ashamed of something or you've been embarrassed by something? Your parents ever embarrassed you and you're like, oh my goodness. And you go to field day, oh, we got some amens going on there. And the idea is is that that you're worried that people are going to think some certain way about you as a result of what they have done or what they have said. And just so you know, your parents are going to keep embarrassing you. It is their job. (laughs) So just be okay with that. But that sense of embarrassment is one that Paul said, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But what was it about the gospel that could potentially have made him ashamed, that could have potentially embarrassed him? There's two things that we ought to ask questions about. The first is the content of the gospel, and the second is the context of the gospel. So we ask the question, what is the content of the gospel? What is the gospel about? What was it about this message that might possibly have embarrassed him? In brief... The gospel is about God's supernatural work to save sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul mentions this in Romans 1, and he mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. The gospel is about God's work to save sinners. But you say, but why would Paul be embarrassed by this? Why would he need to say, I'm not ashamed? The content, God saves sinners through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the context in which he was teaching these things that challenged many of the opinions of the day. For one thing, he taught in a Jewish context. The Jews were looking for an earthly king to deliver them from physical oppression, but instead Jesus came as a humble servant. 
Then he was in a Greek context, and Greeks were concerned with the study of philosophy and arts and all sorts of other gods, but Jesus came, and what did he say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. So to the Jew, it was scandalous because Jesus was a crucified Savior, not the physical, political leader that they were looking for. To the Greek, it was scandalous because Jesus was saying, I'm it, I'm the only way. No one comes to God. I am the supreme deity. You can look after all the other things. You can look for wisdom, but no one will be saved outside of me. Having considered these things, it's clear why Paul felt the need to say that he was not ashamed of the gospel. He was ministering in a culture and in a society that was completely opposed to his message about Jesus. Yet Paul, according to verse 16, has absolute confidence in shameless proclamation of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. But why wasn't he ashamed? It leads us to the second point. The first, the first point is that Paul preached a gospel that we should not be ashamed of in the world. The second point is that the gospel is a message of God's power to save us. Look at verse 16 at the end of it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of it, Paul? The Jews think you're crazy and the Greeks think you're crazy. He says, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To speak of the gospel as a message of God's power to save us means that the message of the gospel is the instrument. It's the means that God uses to save sinners by revealing to them the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that is provided for all that trust in Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The gospel message is the message that comes with authority, it comes with power, it comes with promise that God alone can save anyone and everyone that would put their trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Parents, maybe you are here and your kid is old and moved out of the house and they've abandoned the things that you raised them to learn. And you taught them and they say, I don't, I don't believe that stuff. I think that stuff is, is, is ridiculous. You know that the gospel is still the only message that has the power to save them and can save them in their unbelief and in their rebellion. Kids, maybe you're here and one of your parents is not here because they don't believe in church and they don't, they don't like the things, but they want you to go because they want you to grow up and be you know, a good citizen and whatnot. And so you, you may be thinking, but, but can, the parent, can, can the gospel save uh, a, a mean parent? Can the gospel save even a mean teacher at school? Like, do you know how mean my PE teacher is? Can the gospel save people like that? The gospel can save people like that. Why? Because the power of the gospel does not rest in those that it saves, but in the God who saves. It is the power of God unto salvation. He is the one that saves. It is a message about what God does to us. Now, when you hear the word message, you, you can probably have a, a few different messages in mind. One of those messages is this idea, kind of like the message of a weatherman. Ever watched a weatherman? give a message. Incredible job, right? If you're a weatherman, congratulations on getting a job where you can be so wrong and still have a job. I mean, I'm telling you, they didn't talk about that in school on career day. You can miss a lot. And so kudos to you. Um, 
But, but a weatherman doesn't change the weather. What does he do? Or a weatherwoman, what do they do? They just report what the weather's gonna be. They do, not, they do not say, hey, tomorrow, this is what's gonna happen. The weather is going to be this. They tell you, I think it's gonna be this, but I have no control whatsoever over the weather. Now, that may be the way that you think about the message. Is it's, just, it's just making a declaration of fact, but that's not how the gospel message is. The gospel is not the message of a weatherman or a weatherwoman. The gospel is the message of a judge. You know what a judge does? When a judge brings you before them and the judge says, you have been acquitted of the crimes, you are innocent, you are not guilty, by virtue of the judge's declaration, your status within the court and within society changes. God's not a weatherman, God's a judge. And when God as a judge declares to you, you are righteous, you belong to me, I have forgiven your sins because of what my son has done. His declaration is not just reading the weather. His declaration itself changes your position, changes your status. It's the power of God unto salvation. You know what that means is that this morning I can tell you, not on the basis of my authority, but on the basis of the authority of God's word, I can tell you that if you turn away from your sins and you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I can tell you that this morning you can walk out of those doors completely forgiven, declared righteous, a child of God. I don't have to check the weather tomorrow. I don't have to see if it's in your forecast. Because the one that makes that declaration is the one who rules our future. He is the one who is Lord over all. He is the one who is able to speak into our life and over our life. He is the one that gives us life. He is king. The gospel is the message of God's power to save us. It's not simply a message that we should not be ashamed of. It is also the message that God saves us through. Jesus, how is that possible? How is it the case How is one saved by virtue of this gospel message, which leads us to the third and final point that I would have us see this morning, is that the gospel is a message, please note this, about how the righteousness that we need is provided to us by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Let me say that again. The gospel is a message about how the righteousness that we need is provided to us by faith alone in Christ alone. God requires, what God requires of us, God provides to us through Jesus Christ. Thus, we must put our trust fully in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to see if I can illustrate this. And my friend Solomon Rupp is going to make his way to the stage to help me out. Anybody want to give Solomon a big round of applause? Yes, sir. So, in the gospel, there is an expectation. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I told you I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything like that. You just stand there for a second and look, look nice. Those are good shoes. I like those. Lego shoes. So, in the gospel, what God does is God tells us there's an expectation. You have to be righteous to be able to get in. But we go, well, I'm not righteous. I can't be righteous. And God says, well, look. It's the good news of the gospel is what I require of you, I provide for you. And so I was thinking about what's a good way to illustrate this. So kids, you're paying attention. Adults, you should pay attention too. Here's what the gospel does for us in one way. This is not a perfect illustration. All illustrations of what God does fall short. So give me some grace and learn a little bit this morning. Imagine, Mr. Solomon, are you going to come to the uh, fall festival a little bit later on today? So everybody needs to know this because some of you are going to tune in just when I say this and you're going to be confused later on. 
we are not charging to get into the fall festival. This is for illustrative purposes only. Okay? It's the disclaimer. But it's free to get into the fall festival. But what happens, Solomon, if when you show up today, I say, Solomon, in order for you to get into the fall festival, I need a dollar from you. You have a dollar on you right now, Solomon? He doesn't have a dollar. What are we going to do? See, that's what we encounter with the gospel is, is we are told that we have a need to be righteous. The good news of the gospel is it does not stop by saying, Solomon, you know what? You need to be righteous. The gospel says it costs a dollar to get in. Here's what you need. (laughs) And it makes us happy, doesn't it? That God provides for us what we need. It's a, it's a full message of his provision. And Solomon, you get to keep that dollar, but you're not going to need it to get in today because it's free. Thank you, buddy. So, the point of Romans 1, 16 and 17, is that the righteousness that God demands of us, God provides through faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life to God's law, and he died the death that we deserve for our sins, that his perfect righteousness might be counted as our own through faith in him, which makes us acceptable to God. My acceptance before God is not based upon what I bring, but what God provides. He doesn't lower his standard and say, oh, you don't have to be righteous. He says, no, you still have to be righteous. I'm holy. If you're going to fellowship with me, you've got to have what I provide. But the gospel is not just a, you need to do this. It's a, oh, now you recognize that you can't do what's required. Here's the beauty of what Jesus has done. Everything I need, he provides for me to be accepted by God the Father. Paul would go on to talk about this in Romans 3. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now apart from the law of righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate the righteousness at the present time so that he would be both the just and the one who justifies those that have faith. With the illustration with Solomon, Solomon comes up and there is a demand made of Solomon. Solomon, you need a dollar to get in. He goes, I don't have a dollar to get in. And, and the gospel says, well, here's the dollar that you need to get in. I provide everything. Who, who gets the benefit? Solomon. Who gets the glory? The one who has provided what was needed. Luther saw this and says, that's the gospel. The gospel is not how I provide for my own salvation through the selling and the purchasing of indulgences that set people free. From start to finish, Jesus has accomplished what needs to be done within me. All that's required of me is to receive it. It would have been unrighteous for me 
to have said, you know what, I'm going to give you a pass. You don't have to pay the dollar. That would not have been fair. But in the fairness and the righteousness of God, what does he do? He says, I'm fair, I'm just, and I'm gracious. I am merciful. I give to you what you need so that I can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul's point is that God has provided what we need as sinners so that we might understand our desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we might embrace it and receive it by faith and thereby be changed, justified forever. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul is teaching us that regardless of what others think or say, we must not be ashamed of the gospel because it is only through this gospel message that anyone can or will be saved. No matter what comes our way, we cannot abandon or assume that this powerful message of salvation in Jesus Christ is not necessary or important. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation the one that believes. Adults, that is true of you this morning. Children, that is true of you. You will never, ever, ever be religious enough, good enough, well thought of enough to be accepted into the family of God. You can't pay your own entry fee. You can't adopt yourself into the family of God. But the good news is is that he came after you that he would pay the way, that he would set his affection upon you, and that he would provide everything you need to belong to him for all eternity. All that is required of you is to receive what he has provided by faith. That is the good news of the gospel. It is not bad news to know that we cannot save ourselves through our good works or with religious efforts. It is not bad news to learn that we cannot pay to be pardoned of our guilt and our sin. It is not bad news to find out that we have no control over the pardon of other people's sin by our own religious acts, which Luther was challenging. Christ alone has paid the price of our redemption, and he calls us now to place our trust in him. Kids, only Christ can save you. Students, only Christ can save you. Parents, only Christ can save you, and only he can save your children. Adults, only Christ can save you. You cannot save yourself, but you can receive a salvation that has been accomplished for you. Only the good news regarding what God has done in Jesus can bring salvation into our world. And so I ask you the question today, have you placed your trust in him completely? Have you put your hope in this one that provides everything that we need in order to belong to him? Have you received him? You can receive him this morning. Would you pray with me? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.